good morning cbf we'll be uh, studying from the book of daniel um yeah but um, uh, you know the uh, the book of daniel is actually a really vast and a deep book um it's it's a book that is uh, very difficult to cover in 45 minutes and uh, you know i was just um, uh, telling this to revant uh, yesterday or day before and he was he replied that it's actually a difficult book to cover in one year uh so that's how vast and how deep uh the book of daniel is but um you know as i was going through um a survey of the book uh one of the things that the lord was reminding me is that even as we do these uh overviews even as we do these surveys we shouldn't forget that it is god's word that we are reviewing it's god's word that we are surveying and therefore um uh, that even in these overviews and even in these uh, surveys there is much that the lord is trying to teach us about uh, the pattern uh, and also many applications that we can draw in our lives so uh, yeah i do want to start off by saying that uh, uh, we will not be getting into uh, every nitigrity of the book in detail uh but the good part is that um uh there have been sermons taken in detail on daniel expository series that have been done on daniel uh ravens took um, took one couple of years ago before uh, we in fact came into cbf i heard about that and and uh, justin has helped us to put all of that together in a playlist on youtube so after uh the sermon sometime later during the day you will actually receive uh, that on the whatsapp group so that uh, for those of you who want to dig deeper uh you've got uh, those sermons that you can go back to and listen in on chapter by chapter verse by verse as well um but for today we are going to uh, do an overview of the book of daniel and uh, even as we do that let's sit with a prayerful attitude that this will not be just for information it will not be just for education uh because that is a danger with a book like daniel which has a lot of intriguing interesting things um uh, for, but that should not be the end in itself but it should be truly like every time that we come to god's word our prayer should be that the lord would use that to change us to transform us and to make us into the kind of people that he wants us to be um so as we uh, you know start off the book of daniel right at the beginning itself we actually uh get a sense of the theme of the book the overall theme of the book of daniel is the sovereignty of god over the kingdoms of men the sovereignty of god over the kingdoms of men not just in the individual lives like we have seen earlier as we were going through this series of the whole council of god we've seen god's sovereignty in the lives of people like joseph people like david and many others uh beyond that god is also sovereign over his chosen nation israel and we've seen that again and we've been seeing that as we've been going through um isaiah as we've been going through jeremiah but now in the book of daniel we see that god is sovereign over every kingdom on the face of the earth across the entire history of the earth past present and in the timeless future to come to see how the first um uh, chapter of uh, or the first verse of daniel starts off um 
It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord is the one who did this, right? So God's, God is sovereign. It, to the outsider, it might seem as if Jehoiakim is the one who is, uh, um, uh, or Nebuchadnezzar is the one who is going and attacking Judah. But um, we realize that uh, from this verse that it's God who is the one who is, uh, who is doing this. Yeah, so we were, um, so we were um, in, the, in the second verse and we were seeing how the overall context or the overall theme of the sovereignty of God comes through very, very clearly right at the beginning itself. And as we go through, this is the theme that is uh, repeated again and again. In fact, uh, the passage that Caleb helped us read, that also in chapter 2 and verse uh, 20 and 21, it says like this, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and he's the one who deposes them. Um, in fact, uh, the Lord, even through the, uh, through the words of, uh, um, of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar also, and later on, you know, through his life, he says like this in chapter 4 and verse 17, um, the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. From the words of King Nebuchadnezzar itself, a proclamation that God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. God's sovereignty in eternity is something that we see as an overview in the book of Daniel. So we'll see a quick historical setting of uh, this book. What we see uh, at the beginning is um, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. He invades Judah, and this is around 605 uh, BC before Christ. Uh, the king of Judah at that time was Jehoiakim, and we read about that in 2 Kings chapter 24. Um, and he took some royal and noble captives to Daniel, uh, to, to Babylon, and that included Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he also takes some uh, of the vessels that were there in the temple, which were used for various temple duties. And he takes all of those vessels, Nebuchadnezzar, and he keeps them in the temple of his god in Babylonia. So that's when uh, the whole story of Daniel starts off. Uh, but as we continue, there is this parallel that is happening in history, which is the second deportation. You know, this is when the people of Judah are in three phases completely uh, wiped out of their land. So the first is when Daniel and his three friends and some other noble people were taken away as captives, uh, as exiles by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. The next is, again, uh, Nebuchadnezzar invades Judah in 597 BC. And he takes the king at that time, Jehoiakim, to Babylon, along with most of Judah's remaining leaders. And at that time, even Ezekiel, who we'll study about uh, later uh, in our series, even he is taken away uh, during the second deportation. And whatever other national treasures were there, all of that is plundered by Nebuchadnezzar. We read about that in 2 Kings uh, chapter 24. And then the third and final deportation happens, which is about 11 years later in 586 
BC, Nebuchadnezzar again goes back to Jerusalem and this time he burns the temple down, he breaks the city walls and he takes everybody except the poorest, the um, uh, the, the, uh, the, the sick, uh, those are the people that he leaves behind everybody else, all the other Jews are taken captive into Babylon and at that time the king, uh, he was a puppet king who has been kept there, uh, Zedekiah, he's taken as a prisoner into Babylon and, um, and, and then Nebuchadnezzar executes uh, King Zedekiah's sons before his very eyes and then gouges out his eyes. So very, very cruel um, uh, phase and, and a very, very uh, distorting phase in the life uh, of the nation of Judah. Um, if you were to just see a time chart of, uh, of how all of these things uh, pan out, uh, you know, we can have a look at this. This will be sent later to our group so uh, you can study this better. Uh, this shows um, how uh, the timeline of the prophets against the kingdoms of, uh, uh, of uh, kings of the northern Israel and the kings of southern Israel. So if you were to just zoom in a bit, you get to see where Daniel comes in, right? This is where my cursor is, where Daniel is coming in. And we had studied um, last two Sundays from Jeremiah. First, we studied about the new covenant. And after that, we studied uh, from Lamentations uh, last Sunday. So uh, Daniel was a contemporary of Jeremiah, of Joel, of Habakkuk, of Ezekiel. You know, these were all people, uh, God's people who were there living at the same time. So as we read these books, uh, we get to see what they were going through, through different angles and through different lenses. And just to remind you that the northern kingdom has already been invaded by Assyria. And they have already gone into exile in 722 BC. And uh, what is happening right now that the historical context that I was telling you about is happening to the southern kingdom, which is Judah. Um, and now they are going into exile, like I said, in three phases. They also completely, um, you know, kind of go away into exile. So, so that's all of what is happening in the history of the, of the people of Israel is happening just as the Lord had warned them. In the book of Deuteronomy, we read about those warnings uh, and we've read about them uh, later on uh, through prophet Isaiah, uh, through prophet Jeremiah. All that the Lord told them is now uh, coming into play and, and we see uh, that happening in history. So what do we know about the person, Daniel, before we you know, get into the uh, specifics uh, of the book and the overview itself. We know that Daniel was from a royal lineage, uh, yet he was very different in character from the rest of the kings of Judah. The rest of the kings of Judah, we see they were evil, uh, especially the uh, ones during Daniel's time. Uh, but Daniel had a very, very different character uh, as revealed you know, through incidents in his book. Um, and he was only a teenager when he arrived in Babylon as a prisoner um, uh, at that time. Uh, he went on to work as a government official for, um, we see in chapter 1, verse 21, it just gives a quick summary of the life of Daniel. Um, and it says, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And history tells us that King Cyrus was there at 538 BC. And if you add um, uh, the, uh, the chapters towards the end after um, Daniel finished his, uh, his administrative duties, uh, we realized that for about 70 years, Daniel uh, was ministering. 
he was ministering of course in the courts of the king but we see as we go through his life that actually he was serving god uh, through his profession and wherever god had placed him so during the entire duration of the babylonian captivity daniel was there and and god amazingly used him uh, kings came and went um, at least five kings uh, and some say it could be eight as well but at least five kings and two empires the babylonian empire and the medio uh, medo persian empire they came and went but uh, daniel remained uh, at the place where god had kept him and god kept raising him up and god kept using him now daniel was not a prophet in the in the classical sense of how other hebrew when the lord jesus christ referred to daniel the lord jesus christ referred to him as prophet daniel in matthew chapter 24 and verse 15 in fact uh, the lord jesus christ um, alludes to quite a few phrases that are used in the book of daniel and so does paul um uh, but uh, you know daniel wasn't a prophet in the in the classical sense because that that wasn't his full time role uh, he was there in the courts of heathen gentile kings uh serving them uh in 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 a government office um but still god used him so in contrast to ezekiel who was his contemporary in in babylon daniel lived and worked among the gentiles primarily whereas ezekiel lived and ministered among the israelites uh but daniel had a very very important message for not just the israelites but also the people around and not just for that time but for our times as well and the core of that message is that god is sovereign over the kingdoms of men you know to those who were observing israel's fortunes and what was going on with israel during those times it would have seen that yahweh had either become impotent or had abandoned his chosen people completely because the gods of assyria and babylon had apparently triumphed over yahweh uh, yahweh's temple lay in ruins his capital had been ravaged jerusalem and stood empty it was it was vulnerable because the walls had been destroyed uh, his people were living his people which is the people of israel were living as unhappy captives in foreign lands and at such time god reveals his supernatural power god did so that it would demonstrate that he is the one true god and that he is still sovereign over the affairs of humanity and history god manifested his power to the supreme rulers of babylon and persia so that they may know that he governs over everyone from heaven that he is uh, he alone is god so the book of daniel just like uh, uh, we've seen earlier in the book of exodus we see several uh, contests confrontations between false god and uh, yahweh in which um, uh, and and in these contests you know as a result of those it gets proven that uh israel's god yahweh is the only true and living god and everybody else is just a figment of people's imagination and and the way god delivers this the way god showcases this is all through his people god showcases his power his wisdom his sovereignty through simple people exiles right but these are people who were faithful to him he uses Daniel and Daniel's friends as vessels as jars of clay to display his awesome power and his wisdom so isn't that an exciting theme uh, to study and to and to understand further so so let's get right into it like i said we'll be seeing a broad outline 
of the book uh, today. Uh, the book's design, as we go through it, it seems quite simple at first, you know, at an overview uh, glance. Uh, chapter one through six, they contain stories about Daniel and his friends in Babylon. So it's the narrative section. Um, while chapters seven through 12, they contain the visions of Daniel about the future. Um, and that's that's the broad split and that's the broad focus. But even in the first section, we actually see a lot of prophecy as Daniel is uh, interpreting the dreams and the visions that others have, uh, which is the kings have. But this broad two-part division becomes even more interesting when we look at the language in which the book has been written. So the book actually has been written in two languages. It begins in Hebrew which is the language of the Israelites. So the Hebrew sections describe uh, uh, the Jewish concerns and God's plans for Israel. But then chapter two, uh, from two to seven, they're written in Aramaic, which was uh, like a side language, a cousin language to Hebrew, but spoken widely among the ancient empires. Uh, the Aramaic portions of Daniel, they deal with matters pertaining to all the citizens of the Babylonian and the Persian empires. And then again, in from chapters 8 through 12, it goes back to Hebrew. So broadly, if you were to just analyze that, it seems that uh, God was using Daniel uh, to write these Aramaic sections for the benefit of his Gentile neighbors as well. And at the same time, the whole book uh, was written for Jewish people because they could uh, read both languages. So a lot of the book contains prophecy. And in fact, in, in many aspects, the book uh, of Daniel, it provides the most comprehensive uh, overview, chronological uh, prophetic overview of the broad movement of history from the time of Babylon to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it interrelates uh, Gentile history uh, and Jewish history uh, together and what God is going to do with his people and eventually we as well, um, which is non-Jewish people, Gentiles. Uh, but saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. We are also part of this, uh, this broad uh, plan and this beautiful plan that the Lord is bringing about in history. Um, and um, uh, as, we, as we get further into the outline of the book, we see in chapter one, the character of Daniel, right? So this is the chapter which is written in Hebrew. And the key thing that we uh, learn here is that God honors those who take a stand for him. God honors those who take a stand for him. So this section, the first chapter, it introduces the key characters uh, which are there in the book, Daniel and his three friends. They are uh, from a noble background. They're really wise. They're really capable. They're recruited to serve in the royal palace of Babylon, uh, the palace of King Nebuchadnezzar. But they're pressurized to give up their Jewish identity by living and eating like Babylonians. Um, and when it came to their names being changed, because all their names were changed uh, and, and, you know, they were given names which were related to the gods and the religions of uh, religions of the Babylonians. Um, but when the names were changed, they do not protest. When they are um, uh, taught, um, uh, taught from the, uh, taught from the education system of the Babylonians, they don't protest. But when it comes to violating the Jewish food laws which were found in the Torah, that's when they refuse because that went against God's law. So they refuse and they choose to be faithful to God's law. And that puts them in grave danger. But as we read through chapter one, we realize that God delivers them 
and in fact they end up being elevated by the king of babylon to very uh, to a very high position and then we see the second section right which is the times of the gentiles uh, from chapter 2 to verse 7 like i said uh, this is a section which is written in aramaic and this shows god's program for the entire world so we start uh, chapter 2 with uh, nebuchadnezzar's first and through this first dream through this first vision that uh, nebuchadnezzar got and which daniel interpreted for him we see the big picture of what god is doing through history and in fact this big picture sets context for also uh, all the other visions that um, uh, other people see and that daniel sees so the interpretation for all the um for for all the uh, visions and the prophecies that are there in daniel uh, the key to that is actually in this first uh, vision that king nebuchadnezzar sees um uh, and uh, you know when we get into this uh, section we see that uh, nebuchadnezzar of babylon had a dream and only daniel is able to interpret that it is about a huge statue which is uh, made up of four types of metals and each section of that metal of that uh, statue it symbolizes a sequence of kingdoms uh, and daniel interprets that for the king and he explains that the head is uh, king babel uh, king nebuchadnezzar himself you know which is showing uh, symbolizing the kingdom of babylon which is then followed by medo persia then greece and then finally rome and then we see that uh, there is a, a stone a rock which is cut out by divine hand and that comes flying in and strikes the feet of the statue which is the uh, which is the rome side and it shatters the entire statue leaving no trace of the statue at all but that stone itself turns into this huge mountain which fills the whole earth and and this first dream like i said it lays out a basic outline of everything else that is to come and daniel explains that the statue represents a train of human kingdoms following from babylon and they will all fill god's world with violence but one day a non human you know a stone which is not cut by human hands a non human will come and god will use him to set up god's kingdom which will confront and humble the arrogant kingdoms of this world and fill the world world with god's justice and god's healing because he will then reign for eternity so with this first vision we get this big picture of not just what god is going to do in the near future but also in the far future of humanity and and now we know that the one who came from god to set up this kingdom of heaven was the lord jesus christ himself and and the lord jesus christ spoke passionately about the kingdom of heaven so many times right he said that the kingdom of heaven is here because that's what he had come to establish and start it isn't it amazing that god would reveal like this and foretell his plan of redemption and of establishing a new eternal kingdom through his son and he would uh, choose you know a, a gentile king like nebuchadnezzar and show him a dream and through the interpretation help daniel understand and also uh, the rest of the exiled uh, israelites uh, to understand what he was about to do um, after that we see in chapter 3 uh, the famous story of daniel's three friends sananiah mishael azaria uh whose um, uh, names were then changed to shadrak meshak and abednego and for those of us who've been part of sunday schools growing up you know this would have been a a, a favorite interesting story of how uh, they refused to bow down and worship this huge uh, idol 
um, and, and the idol was representing the king. Uh, but um, they refused and, and they knew that God is fully able to save them. In fact, in chapter 2 and verse uh, uh, 18, uh, sorry, chapter 3 and verse 18, uh, they say, but even if, uh, let's start from verse uh, 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Uh, so they know that God is able to save. But uh, they all are also willing to um, uh, continue their stand even if God does not. In verse 18, they say, but even if he does not, we want you to know, king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Right? So, um, so they end up getting persecuted because of their stand. They are thrown into a fiery furnace, but God delivers them from death. And they are exalted by the king Nebuchadnezzar, who now acknowledges that their God is the true one. Uh, because they were, uh, in the words of Nebuchadnezzar in verse 28 of chapter 3, because they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. So um, God um, in, a, in a wonderful way, in a miraculous way, he uh, saves them and he redeems them and they get lifted up. Uh, after this come a pair of stories about two Babylonian kings, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar that we are talking about and his son Belshazzar. We see that in chapter 4 and in chapter 5. And they're both filled with pride in spite of, of, um, of knowing and seeing who the true and living God is, but they're both filled with pride because of their imperial power. And so, just like in chapter 2, God warns them both through dreams and then through visions, which only Daniel is able to interpret. And Daniel tells both the kings that they need to humble themselves before God, uh, but both of them arrogantly uh, resist. So, uh, we see in chapter 4 how Nebuchadnezzar is stricken with madness. Just like it was prophesied, uh, just like Daniel had prophesied, he's stricken with madness. He becomes like a beast in the field. But then eventually, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar humbles himself before God and his humanity returns to him and he gets restored as king. And in that restoration, we actually even see God's mercy and grace where he forgives even someone as cruel and evil and heathen as Nebuchadnezzar. When, when Nebuchadnezzar comes back and repents, uh, uh, he says in chapter 4 and verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So through the words and through the mouth of this pagan king, God declares his praise, even as God shows him grace and mercy. But that is in contrast to his son, Belshazzar, who we see in chapter 5, doesn't humble himself before God at all. And God uses Daniel to call this out to the king. In chapter 5 and verse 22, Daniel tells the king, But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. He goes on ahead uh, in, towards the end of verse 23 to say, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. So um, Daniel calls out uh, to Belshazzar, King Belshazzar, how he has gone against the Lord and eventually that God's judgment will come upon him. He says um, in, in verse uh, from verse 26 onwards that God has numbered your days 
God has evaluated you, weighed you, and you have been found wanting, and your kingdom will be divided and given to the Medes and to the Persians. And that's exactly what happens that very night. Belshazzar is assassinated, and the kingdom is taken over by Darius the Mede, also fulfilling the earlier prophecy, uh, which happened in the first vision uh, of the transition that will happen uh, when we saw that statue of the transition that will happen from, uh, from Babylon onto the next kingdom and onto the next. So this transition has already started and Daniel is able to see all of this happen right in front of him. And that brings us to chapter 6. Uh, and this time it is Daniel who is being persecuted. In a sense, it's a parallel of chapter 3 where his friends were being persecuted. And if we were to just lay out all of these chapters uh, on a chart, you'll see this pattern coming through. So chapter 6 and chapter 3 are paired together. And this time it's Daniel who's being persecuted because he refuses to pray and worship the king as a god. And that's the only thing that his vindictive colleagues are able to find against him. They are, they're not able to find any other fault in Daniel. Uh, they themselves say in chapter 6 and verse uh, 3, uh, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. Uh, and in verse 4, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. But uh, these conspirators, they play on King Darius's pride and get him to sentence Daniel to death. So like his friends, Daniel is sentenced to death and he's thrown into a lion's den. His friends were thrown into uh, a furnace of fire. Daniel is thrown into a lion's den. But God delivers him from these beasts. And like his friends, the king also now exalts Daniel and praises his God. So we, we hear that again from the words of King, Dan, uh, King Darius in chapter 6 and verse 20. Daniel's servant of the living God. Um, and then he, uh, King Darius goes on to say in verse 25 and 26, I issue a decree that in every part of my king kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. Right? So um, we, we see this proclamation coming from a pagan king. Uh, and then uh, in chapter seven, which is uh, the final part of this mid section, in, uh, which is which was written in Aramaic, um, this is a pair with chapter two, uh, and it forms the center of the book. And this is where all the themes of the book come together. And this is where Daniel sees a vision of the future of world history in a little more detailed way. It's uh, it's another dream. Uh, this time it's Daniel's dream, and the irony is that. He himself is not able to understand the dream until an angelic messenger explains it to him. Just reminding ourselves that uh, all wisdom comes from God. So it wasn't Daniel's own capability. What Daniel sees is a series of four beasts. Um, there is one like a lion, then another like a bear, then another one like a winged leopard. And each of these symbolize an arrogant kingdom. And the last is a super beast which is identified as a really evil empire. And that super beast has 10 horns, uh, a symbol for 10 kings who will come out from that kingdom. And there's one specific horn who is an image of an arrogant king who exalts himself above God and who persecutes God's people. But then Daniel, 
after seeing all of these things which really terrify him as it would terrify any of us if you were to see something like that in a dream daniel is also terrified but he sees a figure called the son of man who is an image for both god's covenant people uh, and also for their king the eternal king who will come from the line of david and we now know uh, again like i had reminded you that uh, the lord jesus christ referenced a lot of uh, things that were spoken about in daniel and he spoke about himself as the son of man who came to seek and save those who were lost so um, we we when now we look back we know that the the fulfillment of what daniel saw there was in the lord jesus christ and then all of a sudden god who is who is there called the ancient of days just like we sang in the song uh god comes and he sets up his throne and he destroys the super beast and he exalts the son of man on the clouds uh where the son of man comes up to sit uh next to god um at his right hand and share in god's rule over the nation so as we look back at whatever we've just surveyed till now we see how all of these stories fit together in the first half right three stories of of faithfulness of god's people in spite of persecution in spite of their circumstances and those are meant to offer hope uh to to everybody else who was suffering uh at that time um and the reason that they were suffering was both because of the rebellion of god's people against god and also because of the rebellion of the human kingdoms who had fallen to a uh, to a state of just becoming like beasts and so these visions they encourage god's people that we got to come back to him and uh, patiently wait for him to bring his kingdom and his rule uh, over the earth but it raised a question in daniel's mind and he was puzzled because he saw this over overview but he didn't know when these things are going to happen and that brings to the final section which is where god explains to the people of israel and again you know that's why daniel switches back to hebrew because this was meant for the people of god only for the jewish people to understand god's program and god's plan specifically for them um and um from chapter 8 to chapter 12 we see details of uh, of god's plan and and god's timing in terms of when he will do what he will do so in chapter 8 Daniel has another vision and this is about the final two beasts that he had seen in the previous chapter uh in chapter 7 so it's reference to that but he sees them in a in a new uh in a new form right this time they are symbolized by a ram who we are told is an image of the empire of the Medes and the Persians and then he sees a goat who's an image of ancient Greece and out of the goat came a whole bunch of horns uh one of which symbolizes the evil king from chapter 7 and we are told more about him in this vision that he will attack jerusalem and that he will exalt himself above god he will defile the temple with idols uh, however in the end he will be destroyed by god who will exalt his people and his kingdom so now by chapter 9 uh, daniel is very puzzled especially as to when all of this is going to take place the timing of it uh, so daniel very interestingly he consults the scroll of the prophet jeremiah so daniel knew that jeremiah is a prophet from god and whatever jeremiah has spoken is from god it was considered the scripture at that time also so daniel goes and he opens the scripture we read about that in chapter 9 and uh, the beginning 
and and Daniel, it, it says in uh, verse two, in the first year of his reign, I Daniel understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last seventy years. So um, he goes back and then he prays to God and he says that Lord, um, if this time is up, then can you please deliver us? But an angel comes and informs Daniel that Israel's sin. And rebellion has continued. And so their time of exile and oppression will continue seven times longer. Um, and, and that is for 490 years, right? So Daniel is, is deeply disturbed when he hears all of this. And that's when uh, he has one final vision that we read about from chapter 10 to the end of the book, which is chapter 12. And we're shown the same sequence of kingdoms, right? It's Persia then Greece, um, and then Alexander the Great, followed by lesser kings, all leading up to this final king of the north who will invade Jerusalem, set up idols in his temple, exalt himself or try to exalt himself above God. But then all of a sudden, this king comes to a ruin. It is, it is, it is a very abrupt end. Suddenly, the king comes to, the, uh, comes to a ruin. However, Daniel is told that there will be a period of great tribulation. Um, but eventually, the righteous in Israel will be resurrected and they'll be rewarded for their faith after that period of great uh, tribulation and great suffering. So as we look at this entire section, um, you know, we see that God used, uh, in fact, maybe this is a better way to see it uh, visually, that um, the vision of uh, that that um, that Daniel was able to interpret, which Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had seen in chapter 2, um, was uh, showing uh, this whole uh, sequence in history uh, through these various metals that were there, gold, silver, bronze, uh, iron, and then finally iron and clay. And then in chapter 7 and 8, he sees it, sees that same uh, rollout of history or that overview of history or of the kingdoms through uh, animals. Uh, that, that's the vision that he sees. And the nations that were being referred to we now know are the nations of Babylon, of Medo-Persia, and uh, that's something that was already spoken about in the uh, interpretation that Daniel received. And then we later on in history see that the next two were Greece and Rome. So the major subjects of prophecy in this book, as we see this overview, are first humanity itself, right? Humanity in general, because um, uh, through Daniel, we come to know how God would direct the affairs of the Gentile world powers, the, the heathen kingdoms, the non-Israel kingdoms, how God would direct their affairs in the future. And uh, he did this by comparing nations to parts of a man's statue and to various beasts. Uh, what God showed Daniel about Gentile world powers was first in chapter 2 to reveal their external manifestations, their relative power and their relative glory. And then later on in chapter 7 and 8, God showed Daniel through the figures of wild animals, their internal character, you know, which is their haughtiness, their brutality, their aggressiveness, their wildness. All of those things were uh, shown uh, through chapters seven and eight in the, in the later visions. And uh, these are all wild animals, right? Uh, and birds of prey, they, they symbolize their hostility towards one another. Um, the second general subject of prophecy in Daniel is the people of Israel. So the first is just human, humanity as a whole. And the second is specifically the people of Israel, right? God told us how he would direct the affairs of his chosen people in future. 
and broadly he will do this in two stages uh, for daniel both of these two stages were um, uh, were something that will happen in the future but for us uh, it is one part which has already happened and occurred and another which will happen in the future so the first stage or the near future it involved israel's affairs culminating into a great persecution under a greek ruler uh, which happened um, uh, antiochus epiphanes right under that greek ruler they first suffered great persecution which we see in chapter 9 and and chapter 11 and that happened in second century bc the second stage or the far future it involved israel's affairs culminating in a greater persecution under a roman like ruler which is the antichrist and this is something that would happen in the far future and we read more about that in the new testament and later on as we get into the book of revelation also we will get to hear more about that so daniel struggled to understand this revelation because uh, these two antagonists were both future from his perspective and it might have been muddled up uh, from a timeline perspective you know as as daniel would have been um uh, trying to understand that uh, god did not specify that they would be two separate individuals but we can understand that more easily because one has already appeared and the next is to come right and um uh, and we also understand that um uh, in a similar way that god had always predicted two advents of messiah right one the lord uh, will come to save and then when he will come back uh, come to take us back to be with him forever and we live in between those two times right so uh, two broad themes in terms of overall humanity what god is doing we see through the prophecies of the book of daniel uh, we see specifically what god is uh, going to do in the uh, in the nation and with the nation of israel and then finally the third uh, prophecy about god himself right which is god's sovereign control over time and how he will intervene in history at different points of time and eventually uh, through the person of his son the lord jesus christ right so those are the three broad things that we uh, see three broad aspects of prophecy that we see in the book of daniel let's get to uh, the overall lessons that we learn from this overview so i just tried to crunch together a quick overview of the book of daniel interestingly the book of daniel itself is an overview of history so we have what we've looked at just till now is an overview of an overview uh, but let's see you know what are some of the key lessons that uh, we learn from what we have studied so far and as you go through the book of daniel the first very very uh, clear thing that comes through is god's sovereignty in the past right god is wise enough and powerful enough and and uh, the passage that caleb read it speaks about god's wisdom and god's power so god is wise enough and powerful enough to create and control history right god has revealed much evidence in this book that proves that he is sovereign over history and that he has made it turn out exactly the way that he wanted uh, it to turn out we particularly see that in in the record of the three rulers from chapter 1 to 6 uh, like we read in chapter 1 and verse 1 it's the lord who gave adonai who gave jehoiakim king of juda into nebuchadnezzar's hand and then all the events of chapter 1 beginning with daniel's insignificance and his quick rise to significance in babylon they demonstrate god's sovereignty in the past in history in chapter 2 again we had seen the vision of nebuchadnezzar and how it it gets crushed by a stone 
that entire, uh, you know, all the kingdoms of the earth, how they get crushed by a stone that is hurled from heaven. And it teaches us that the kingdoms of the earth are subject to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of heaven. And Daniel's own testimony to God's sovereignty in chapter 2 and verse 20, it, it expresses this main point that God is most powerful overall. Uh, in chapter 3 also, we see how God takes care of his people who acknowledge his sovereignty, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then we see the opposite in chapter 4 and verse 5. Uh, and chapter 5, we see how God deals with, uh, uh, with those who do not acknowledge his sovereignty, which is King Nebuchadnezzar and then King Belshazzar. And, and then later on, even in chapter 6, King Darius, right? So um, uh, we, see, we see God's sovereignty in the past. We see how he deals with those who acknowledge and submit to his sovereignty. And we also see how he uh, deals with those who do not acknowledge his sovereignty. Right. And, and this historical evidence of Yahweh's sovereignty would have provided a base of confidence for both Daniel and for the reader to believe that God is sovereign over the future as well. But then it brings to us this question. How were Daniel and his friends able to perceive this you know, uh, in a way that others around them were not. They weren't the only exiles who had come from uh, Judah. Uh, but why is it that these four uh, men of God, young people, they stand out young at that time and they were brought into exile. How is their perception about God's sovereignty so different from others? And when we look at this book, it, it helps us to understand that firstly, it started off by they separating themselves unto God and to fulfill his will. Right in the first chapter, we see that. And later on in chapter three, also, we see Daniel's friends do it again. They separated themselves unto God, right? The second part that we see that in response to their choice to separate themselves, uh, to fulfill God's will, God gives them the ability to understand his will. We see that again and again saying that God gave them the ability. God revealed this to them, right? So they separated themselves to God and God gave them the the ability to understand his will. And eventually, as a result of this decision, God's sovereignty was publicly displayed as well. And we see that through the testimony of the kings, through their own words, they keep saying one king after another that God is sovereign. Uh, God is the one who rules. God is the one who decides. Right. So we see this beautiful uh, uh, overview of God's sovereignty in the past. But we also, through the prophetic section, uh, which is, the, the second section from chapter 7 to 12, we, we see God's sovereignty over the future and his redemptive plan, right? Uh, and, and God shows this by uh, revealing, unveiling what God will do with them far into the future, right? Um, God's redemptive plan, uh, which began at the fall and will culminate in the return and the reign of the Son of Man on the earth to establish his eternal kingdom is seen. God teaches his people what will happen in the future by helping them appreciate what has happened in the past. And that's what he does in our lives as well, right? When we sit down, when we reflect, and when we appreciate what God has done for us in the past, uh, we are able to also, uh, uh, also submit and, and we are able to trust in God for the future as well, right? The other thing that we see is God's wisdom and power. And, um, you know, we read that in uh, as a theme in chapter 2 and verse, uh, uh, verse 20. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. 
absolute sovereignty demands perfect wisdom and limitless power that's the only way that someone can be uh, completely sovereign and we see god's perfect wisdom in his insight into the course of history and his ability to impart that wisdom and impart that insight to his prophet daniel we see god's limitless power in how he sets up and takes down gentile kingdoms and how he delegates great worldly power to his uh, prophet and in contrast the uh, the kingdoms of uh, of or the kings of those time are seen as having neither perfect wisdom nor limitless power another uh, key thing that we see in the book of daniel is the power of prayer we see very clearly that god works in response to his people's prayer right uh, and we see that particularly in the first six chapters and later on in chapter 9 and 10 we also see god's uh, grace a grace which is overflowing even though jews had failed god miserably god revealed that he had not cast off his people israel you know through his visions god uh, god tells daniel that i have not forsaken them i have not cast them off he was disciplining disciplining them for sure presently but he has a future for them as a nation and he will fulfill his promises to the patriarchs not only regarding uh, the people of israel but also the promises that god gave uh, about gentiles and non jewish people like you and i and we see those promises in deuteronomy and also in the new covenant that we had studied uh from the book of jeremiah uh god is going to fulfill all of those promises for us as well so it brings us to the question how do we apply all of this in our lives i think the first thing to really uh think about is how do we respond when things don't go right for us what was the response of uh daniel and his friends in chapter 1 and verse 8 but daniel resolved right so Daniel and their friends and his friends response was even when things were not going right even when others were willing to compromise Daniel and his friends resolved that they would not compromise that they would not defile themselves uh their response was and and so should ours be to submit to God's sovereignty and to continue pursuing him and to continue doing his will the second uh, question that comes before us is how do we respond when life is good and when we prosper uh we see uh the kings of those times uh enjoying their lives and prospering but uh during such times uh the human the natural human response is to be filled up and uh with pride and to be puffed up and that's what we see in in king nebuchadnezzar but eventually we see uh god god bringing him down and he humbling himself so when we when god blesses us uh, materially spiritually um uh, you know and, and in every other way when when god blesses us uh, what should be our response do we respond acknowledging that he is the one who is given all of this that he is the source of all of these blessings and stay humble uh, before him um that's what our response should be like um the other important um uh, application is that we got to study god's word and to know his revealed will god has revealed so much in his word for us right one of the uh, wrong takeaways uh, from the book of daniel would be to say that 
uh, I'm going to wait for a vision, you know, so that God will reveal his uh, will for me. You know, interestingly, Daniel never sat and asked for a vision. In fact, when things were not clear to Daniel, we read in chapter 9, uh, as I was telling you earlier, that he, in fact, opened the scriptures that were available to him, which is the uh, which is the scroll of Jeremiah, and he reads from that. God has already revealed his will to us through his son and through the word. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 uh, uh, also reminds us that beautifully. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So God has already revealed his will to us. We need not be puzzled. We need not be anxious. We need not wait. Uh, for God to, through some other uh, extra terrestrial experience, uh, to reveal His will to us, but we just need to go down and uh, and and uh, dig deep into His Word and ask Him to reveal His will to us. Um, the other question that we ought to ask ourselves is, why do we pray? Uh, when we think about God's sovereignty over everything, you know, this is a natural question that might come to us that. Uh, in that case, what is the point of prayer? Why should I ask God at all for anything? But the beautiful truth that we see from the book of Daniel is that God moves in response to our prayer. Isn't that amazing? That the sovereign, uh, all-powerful, all, all almighty uh, God would actually act in response to the prayer of uh, people like you and I. We see right in the first chapter, when Daniel resolved, and we see the response in verse 9, God had caused. In fact, God had already caused, right? But it, Daniel is able to see that and enjoy what God, God had already triggered earlier in the official's mind. Daniel is able to see that when he prays and, and when, um, uh, when, when he uh, takes a step uh, ahead in faith. Uh, in chapter 9 and verse 23 also, we see... Um, uh, we see Daniel say something here, right? Um, uh, no, not Daniel, the angel tells Daniel, as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given. So we got to pray because that's how God acts in human history. And how do we pray? That's also something that we see in this book um, in, in chapter 9 and verse 3. Uh, in fact, earlier on also we see Daniel go continuously and pray irrespective of the circumstance, irrespective of how people will perceive that to be. Daniel keeps continuing his practice of, of praying thrice daily and people hear that. People hear him uh, you know, ask for help before his God. And here in chapter 9 and verse 3 we also see some other aspects of how he prays. Uh, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth, and in ashes. That's the passion and, and, the, and the motivation with which uh, this man of God prays. And, and that teaches us uh, something as well to apply into our lives. Uh, again, from verse 18 to 20 of the same uh, chapter, it says, uh, Daniel says, We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Appealing to God's mercy and God's righteousness, and that God will do things because of who He is. And then in verse 20, I was speaking, praying, confessing my sins, making my requests known to God. Uh, that's the, the way that you and I ought to pray. We, we want to question ourselves and think about uh, our prayer life. Uh, why do we pray? 
how do we pray? These are important aspects that we can learn and evaluate our lives on. The other important thing that we uh, can evaluate our lives on is what is our attitude and testimony at work? We see that Daniel had an impeccable uh, testimony uh, at his workplace. Uh, do can can our uh, your and my colleagues say something like that about uh, about us as well? About our attitude towards work, about our devotion uh, to our God. Uh, those are areas that we can evaluate and maybe make changes in our life. All of this has to eventually translate to what we believe in. Do we believe that money, power runs the world? Or do we believe that God runs the world? You know, maybe we'll, we'll say that God is sovereign. Maybe we'll say that God is the one who's running the world. But is that seen in our actions? Or is the way that we live our lives actually showing that we believe that money and power and, and knowledge, uh, right, education, these are the things that actually run the world. Um, like um, uh, like uh, Daniel proclaimed, uh, you know, can you and I also proclaim that God is the one who gives wisdom and power. All of this has uh, to also uh, eventually lead us to worship, you know, the, the true and living God, the God who is uh, the ancient of days and yet to the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, who came into this world to save us and uh, the God who has given this eternal promise that he's going to come back and take us to be with him uh, for eternity. Uh, it should lead us in an immediate response of worship. Um, uh, like, you know, Daniel's friends say that uh, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of the gold you had set up. We will only serve the true and living God. So understanding God's sovereignty, understanding his plan in history should lead us to worship. And eventually it should lead us to persevere and save and serve God faithfully, irrespective of what happens around us to continue persevering and to continue serving God faithfully. Uh, we'll end with the last verse of the book of Daniel, which captures this, uh, this response that you and I ought to have. Uh, you know, the angel tells, uh, tells Daniel that, uh, you know, don't worry about all of this. All of this should actually lead, lead you to perseverance. As for you, go your way till the end. Persevere. As for you, you go your way till the end. You will rest and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. What a beautiful promise from God. Um, you know, as, as God reveals, has already revealed his plan in human history for you and I. Why should he do that, right? Why should he do that? But, but he has, he has revealed his plan in history uh, in the past, in the present, and in the uh, in eternity, future to come. And that should uh, lead us to a response that we will persevere. So knowing God's so uh, sovereignty, uh, let us remain faithful to him in all circumstances, good or bad, and let us wait patiently for his promised kingdom. Uh, may God help us that uh, this overview of the book of Daniel, and again, I'd encourage you as we send out uh, the playlist of, uh, of all the other uh, sermons that have been uh, preached on the book of Daniel in the past at CBF. Um, if you want to, please do dig deeper 
into the book of Daniel and learn more about uh, uh, from the overview that we have seen. But the overview itself also has a lot for us to learn and to apply into our lives. Uh, shall we just uh, bow down and, and uh, uh, close in prayer? Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for how you uh, reveal your, uh, Lord, your amazing plan in history, Lord, to people like us. Lord, who are we? What are we, O oh Lord, that you would want to reveal your, your, uh, your wise plan, uh, Lord, to us? Lord, but you did that, O oh Lord. You did it uh, with uh, Daniel, O oh Lord, and, and through him. Uh, Lord, you have revealed that to us, O oh Lord, and we just so want to thank you. And we pray, O oh Lord, that even as we, um, Lord, look at your word and we look at, uh, Lord, your sovereign control, not only in the lives of those who trust in you, not only uh, in, in on the nations which trust in you, but overall in history, O oh Lord, that it would just fill us with immense trust and confidence, uh, Lord, that uh, our little everyday lives are lord lord the mundane everyday things that we go through are so much in your control oh lord uh, the control of the god who is actually uh, sovereign over the entire universe and sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth and sovereign in history and oh lord uh, made fill us lord with uh, with immense joy uh, looking forward to the time when uh, you will return, O oh Lord, and maybe prepare our lives towards that. Lord, maybe serve you faithfully, knowing that uh, this is not the end, uh, that there is so much more to come. Lord, may we live for the kingdom of heaven, O oh Lord. Uh, may we seek that first, O oh Master, Lord, and, uh, and, and Lord, as you so faithfully have done, may we see your hand just... Uh, uh, giving us everything else that we need in our day-to-day -day lives as well. Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for this time. And thank you for speaking us, uh, speaking to us through your word. Even as we discuss these matters, bring us cell groups, we pray, O oh Lord, that you will give us more insights, O oh Lord, and help us to apply these truths into our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.